Lindsay Bird Nielsen of The Lindsay Report is a longtime friend of mine who has battled with Lyme disease for most of her life, even before she knew what it was, and has also suffered the loss of both of her parents, and is married to France Nielsen, who also has lost both of his parents. Lindsay is someone I've looked to for advice on how to deal with grief myself, and I've learned so much about empathy and compassion for those who have Lyme disease by following her Instagram and listening to her stories of what that challenge is really like. So today I'm walking with Lindsay through her story of Lyme and what has helped her over the years to understand this disease and take back control of her life despite this ongoing challenge. She also shares with me some of her insights on grief, loss, and how to help others struggling after any kind of loss, and what we can do to really understand and love others who are struggling with any of life's challenges. I am so thrilled to have my friend Lindsay with me. Lindsay, I I think of you as Lindsay Bird, but really you're Lindsay Bird Nielsen, and We've been friends since the dorms, since day one of college. I mean, I remember meeting you within the first day or two of being at BYU, which is so fun. So we have a long history of being friends and making it through things like comms law and eating in the Cannon Center and... So chemistry, I think we even chemistry once. Did we have a chemistry class? I probably and I don't, barely passed. I don't it. think we did very no. well, but at least we had fun. <laughs> oh, so Lindsay, you've been through a lot and I'm excited to get into some of these things that I think are really going to help people. But before that, can you give just a little bit of background on who you are and why people know you on social media and kind of what you're up to? That's a great question. So I was born. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> So I live in Las Vegas, Nevada, and we've lived all over the place. And that's been really, really instrumental in developing who we are as a family, which I think is really, really cool. For a lot of years, it's been interesting because my husband and I both come, we're both orphans at this point, and we've really had to rely on each other. And we've gone through some hard times, both financially, physically, spiritually, mentally, all the things just in the last 12 years, things that I never imagined would happen. And what you would think maybe would be my biggest challenge is the loss of my parents at a young age, which it, it has been devastating, but then my health shortly thereafter, totally pretty much destroyed my life. And I don't say that to be overly dramatic. I'm, I say that to be completely transparent and that has ended up being the biggest challenge of my entire life. And it's been really interesting to have to really rely on each other. And before I received a diagnosis and started getting help, and this is where the social media part comes in. I was trying to figure out all these hacks to be able to use whatever energy I had left over. I would get up in the morning and I would take care of my kids. And then by 10 AM, I was no longer useful. I had no energy. I had no, I would, I would lose the ability to use my hands. I had joint pain. I would go stiff everywhere. I would have severe neck pain and migraines. And then I would just, that was it. I wasn't even surviving at that point. I was just on a lifeline. And so I would come up with these hacks and I was telling my sister and she's like, you need to start posting them. (laughs) So that's why I started posting hacks on Instagram, just to kind of have an outlet, a creative outlet. I, like Corinne talked about, we went to BYU together and working in the, through the PR program. I love having an outlet for things I love having like creating and I've worked in the film industry as well creating and producing and story content. So social media was a natural fit for me to kind of have that outlet and then also start to share a little bit about just the health journey there. And then the diagnosis came and then I get to advocate for something that had 
harmed me so much in the past and then brought me like got through it and I get to talk about it and talk uh, with people about it and hopefully help direct them where to go. I'm, I tell everybody I'm a professional patient. I'm not <laughs> a practitioner. I'm not a doctor. I'm not any of those, but I have 30 odd years of starting as a young child being sick and, and researching and working through and talking to so many doctors, clinicians and professionals in the field of medicine and learning how to read medical journals and advocate for myself that I feel like I'm a good patient friend to have. And I feel like you've helped so many people and it's, it's really cool to see the community that you've built through this common thread that a lot of people are kind of suffering in silence with. Sometimes it can be really exhausting and really emotional to kind of, I'm an empath. So walking in the shoes with another person can be really draining, but at the same time, really rewarding to see the change and the turnaround. Tell me about, cause I just am trying to remember at what moment I, it probably was through social media that I learned that you had been diagnosed with Lyme and, but tell me from your perspective, like how that happened and when there was a turning point from just, I'm sick all the time to, oh, this is actually, there's something that makes sense here. Yeah. So this is the coolest story and I love sharing it because I love being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I love knowing that God is looking out for me and that we, it is instilled in us in a young age that God's timing, not ours is what we need to rely on. Right. And sometimes that's hard, a hard pill to swallow because we want things when we want them. So Lyme disease is my thing, right? Um, among many other things, Lyme is very misunderstood and not something that we can touch base on too. But when you're pregnant, your immune system kind of suppresses. And so you don't have as much inflammation or as much reaction. I always tell people Lyme disease is like having the flu 24 seven because you're your body's trying to fight off something, mm-hmm. but you can't see it and you can't describe the symptoms because they're different in everybody. So it's like living with the flu all the time. Yeah. It's exhausting. So when you're pregnant, you actually, you get a little bit of relief from it. And they believe that my Lyme disease, that I have been, had an active case since I was like nine, 10, 11, um, somewhere oh. in there. Cause I was, I was in and out of a lot of doctors and a lot of medications at a very, very young age. And you know, there's a whole history there, but needless to say, after my fourth child was born and which is the cutest thing ever, my doctor, he was like, I don't know how you've had so many kids. And then, cause my body was just such in shambles. And then he looked up and he pointed at this guy and, and he's like, oh yeah, him. <laughs> and it was like the coolest thing. He said that uh, medicine brought him closer to God where he was an atheist before. And I thought that was a really, really cool moment between him and I. But anyway, after my fourth pregnancy, I knew we always called it the faceless, nameless monster. We knew it would be coming back. What that looks like for me and looks like differently for everybody, Lyme disease is my hand. I would lose the ability to use my hands. I would get severe migraines and I would start blacking out and I would start shaking and I would start stuttering and doing all these things that just aren't typical of me and get anxiety and panic attacks. And I always know three to four months after I have a baby that this is going to happen to me. And so I do as much as I can in that three, four months after a baby's born, which is kind of counterintuitive, huh? So we actually ran down to Disneyland. It was so fun. And and then just that. So during that trip, this actually is a really important thing to me to say is what, when you don't see people's diseases, if you don't see their scarring, you don't see their, their physical manifestation that's going on. You have no idea what it's taking them to to do something. And so for me to be able to go to a park or go to a store, I have to plan it like a few days in advance. I usually had to get somebody to watch the kids and then I would go and then I have to recover for like two days afterwards. Mm. I mean, at 
multiple points. I was in the the wheelchairs at the stores just to get around. Wow. It's, it is what it, I adapted. You know what I mean? I was sad, but you adapt anyway. So to go on this trip, it was really funny because you have, to, I took so many like electrolytes and caffeine and all these things to go have fun with my family for a few days. And it was after that point I got home and I never recovered. My body went into shutdown. My hands immediately lost all their usage, my back, my kidneys, like everything was just shot. And I just cried and cried and cried for weeks. I was for some reason, just congested the whole time and had these migraines and was getting very little oxygen. And it just was a lot. So the big moment for me is I've, I've always felt like I've done what I could to get treatment, to see the right doctors. And I've gotten, we have blessings in our church. I've gotten blessings that say, keep fighting, keep talking to practitioners. Well, at this point, you can imagine I'm a little fatigued out of talking to people who tell me I'm just aging poorly, or there's nothing wrong with me, right. or it's just my thyroid, yeah, or that I have fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome, because anything that they do to treat that's just not working. I have faith in our medical system, in the good people, in the trenches, that truly desire healing from their patients, but it just wasn't working for me. And so I just said this prayer this one night I got on my knees. And at this point, I mean, it's, it's easier for me to share now and it can be a very touchy subject, but I had been laying on my ground on the ground in my room for maybe four weeks. Every day, my little baby, she is six months old at this time. She would just lay on the ground next to me. I'd get the other kids off to school. I'd go upstairs, lay down. I would make sure I had food and water and diapers and wipes, and I would lay there. Mm. And that's what we would do for weeks at a time. And at this point, I have to stop nursing her because every time I nurse her, I blacked out. I don't know why. Like, gosh, I was not in good shape. Somehow my spirits were still high. Like, I still was like, we're going to do this, you know? But when I looked around one day and I realized I had no quality of life, I was relying on everybody else. I was a complete burden to my family, to my husband who had, he's working, he can't be home with me. We were starting a dental practice. So all of our finances were going there. So hiring nanny and doing all these kind of things were just not in the cards for us at the moment. Mm-hmm. And again, not having my parents or his parents, my contemporaries have children. I can't ask them to come take care of me. You know what I mean? I can't ask my sister-in-laws and, and, and sisters and stuff to come down because they have their kids in school, but my mom would have been there. I don't remember if you met my mom, but I know you heard stories and I don't know if I ever met her either, but yeah, I knew a lot about how she was so resilient after your dad died, which I do want to talk about that in a minute too, but anyway, keep going. (laughs) She would have been there, you know? And so I felt like I was at in the basement of all basements of feelings. And this is the prayer that I had as I was like, Heavenly Father, I no longer want to be here because I have no quality of life. And saying that, that's really heavy, but you have to understand from the other side of it, I want to be here. And I said, Heavenly Father, I want to be here for my children. I want to be here for my husband. I want to be creating. I want to enjoy my life. I want to go to the park and not pass out. I want to do all these things. And and I think a lot of people have those prayers. They go unanswered sometimes. I know I prayed for my mom to live and that prayer went unanswered, but I also got the peace of knowing that was the right answer for her. But I still felt this small thread of hope. And I was, I said, I have no more willpower. (laughs) I'm not going to be obstinate anymore and think that I'm the one that's going to get me through this. I'm done. Mm. I said, if you want me to be here, I have no willpower left. (laughs) I have no more pride. 
I need you to fix me. And that's a really interesting place to be. Yeah. Because I don't think I've ever turned my will over so intensely and so verbally. Mm -hmm. And through a string of miracles, someone contacted me the next day and she said, hey, have you heard of this doctor? And this doctor wouldn't see me. And she's like, but you can look for this kind of a doctor in your area. And it turns out there was one in the whole Las Vegas area who treats Lyme disease. Again, I don't know. I have Lyme disease at this point. How I even found him, the Holy Ghost was like, this is your guy. I'm like, he's got no reviews online. There's no picture of him. He's a ghost. <laughs> who is this person? But I ended up finding him and we talked and I said, if you tell me to go gluten-free, cut out dairy, cut out sugar, start grounding and meditating and all those things, those don't work for me. I'm done. Like, don't waste my time. I'm not going to waste yours. I was kind of um, really blunt. And he just laughed and he goes, oh, honey, I know what you have. And I was like, what? And he goes, you have Lyme disease. And I'd heard of Lyme, but I don't have Lyme disease. I don't know anything about it. It's not talked about, right? But it's just misunderstood. And it always has to do with ticks and rashes. But I'll tell you what, 70% of cases never see a tick or a rash. Mm -hmm. And that's just the matter of fact. And they say it's only in the, the East Coast of the United States. It's not just in the East Coast of the United States. It's in every state. I always say it's not rare. Yeah. So I went in, we did the testing, we started treatment. It's been two and a half years. And every day I take a few steps forward and a bunch of steps back and a few steps forward and a bunch of steps back. I've tried so many treatments programs. And the best part is my doctor is my teammate. I have a nutritionist and a doctor that I'm working with. He's a Mayo Clinic trained orthopedic surgeon who now does functional medicine. He loves healing the body. I send him research articles. He sends me research articles. And this is what we're doing is we are trying to get ahead of Lyme disease and bring back quality of life to not only me, to people around me. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. And that's why I talk about it so much is because it's so misdiagnosed, underdiagnosed and misunderstood. Mm. It took 23 years for me to get a diagnosis. Once you got that diagnosis, what were some of the things that you did? Like, what does that even look like when you start to make lifestyle changes? in order to overcome and not overcome, but you know, in order to figure out how to live. Yeah. With this challenge. Thankfully, there's a lot of good people out there trying to work at it. And there are multiple different therapies. I am seeing new treatments every day. And that is what gets difficult to talk about is because everybody that has seen success has done it almost differently than I have. There are different places you can actually go to different clinics and stay there for like six weeks at a time Mm -hmm. and get therapy. For me, what a blessing it was that my doctor put me on a combination of, we did antibiotics for the 30 days to get tested. So here's the big thing. And I want to mention this. Lyme disease is very hard to diagnose. It does not live in your blood. It bur- It's shaped like a screw, the bacteria does. Hmm. And it also builds biofilm over it. I don't know if you've heard of biofilm, but no. biofilm. Remember, but- Lindsay, chemistry? <laughs> no. <laughs> but keep teaching me. So biofilm, so pathogens are bad things in your body. They're bad bugs. Okay. So if I'm going to pathogen, it's a bad thing in you. So biofilm is what a pathogen builds. It's like they build a little shelter around themselves because mm-hmm. they're lazy and they just want to congregate together and feed off each other and feed off of you. Yeah. So lime burrows into your bone, your brain, your muscles, your organs. We think a lot of it ended up congregating in my heart, actually, because that's why I was passing out all the time and had really low blood pressure. And then they build a little tent over themselves. And so if you try to hit it with different drugs and stuff, it's like, you just can't. They've got armor over themselves. That's another reason why Lyme is so incredibly difficult to treat because it's a pathogen with armor. So to get tested for Lyme, you really have to go get tested from what they call a Lyme literate medical doctor, an LLMD. So I took... Um, an antibiotic for 30 days. And then what that does is it kills the bacteria. It's called the spirochete bacteria. 
it kills it. And to detox, it goes into your bloodstream to get detox. So then they can test it at that point with um, a very sensitive test and then detect it in your bloodstream. So when they did my test, I actually came back positive on all the markers. So I would have tested positive with a normal blood test. Mm -hmm. It would have been found in my blood because I had so much of it in me. Um, but other people will do the regular blood test at like the doctors and they'll come back negative and then they'll do the Igenex test and they'll come back positive. So that's just another thing to be cognizant of, I guess. Yeah. We hit it with a drug that came on the market about four months before I was diagnosed. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which was amazing. And it took about nine weeks to really work. And it was so difficult at this point, we ended up having help come in. I have about nine weeks of my life. I don't remember because it just knocked me out. And I was, I'd never been in so much pain and so nauseated and so out of my mind. And I don't recommend that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so there are my, even my doctor even said, he's like, had I known you were that bad, I don't like, we would have supported you more and slowed the treatment down. They call that titration. Mm. Anybody that's done the same treatment as me after me, they've titrated it down to a level where they can still go to work yeah. and still take care of their family. I hit it so hard. It was really fun to like nine weeks later, come out of it and be like, oh, look, my hands start shaking and they started working. And these other things that I was dealing with are gone. And, and I can think again, my memory was so bad. My my cognition was so bad. I, I It was so frustrating to feel so abandoned by your body, things that you're used to, mm -hmm. they just leave and you're like, Oh, I used to be sharp. Yeah. So that came back really, really fast. But I will say this, this is what makes slime a little bit different. It's like a termite that goes into a tree. You can kill all the termites, but the tree has still been destroyed. And so I ended up testing positive for hepatitis C, kidney disease, liver disease, heavy metal toxicity, mold toxicity, SIBO, which is an intestinal bacterial situation. And my gut was totally off. And I had insomnia. So when you have bacteria that's infecting you, it shuts those processes down. So it was like this pyramid effect of Lyme at the top and then everything underneath it destroyed. And so that's why Lyme not only is hard to kill because the biofilm and it's a slow replicating bacteria, but it's also destroyed your organs. <laughs> so you have to go through all this testing and all these steps to treat every aspect of it mm -hmm. and to get those functions back. And, and, and I'm happily today. I am, I don't have liver disease anymore. I don't have kidney disease anymore. My Lyme is in remission and I have so many wonderful things that are so much and so improved that I, I am a mom. I am a wife. I get to work. I'm working in film again. I'm doing all these other things. I'm managing it. I can't do it all at once. And I have to know when I'm going to say I've had enough, I'm fatigued out, I'm done. So I still have to manage that. But addressing all those things with my doctor, according to my labs and how, because I've really, I've really gone with my gut. I've had different practitioners want to like cut my thyroid out and do different surgeries and things. Oh my gosh. And I never felt comfortable. Yeah. I never felt like that was the right thing because I was praying through all this. So Heavenly Father was there with me every step of the way till we got to this doctor. And then it just stratospherically shot me to where I needed to go. And I believe that it has gone the way it's needed to, you know? So when do you tell people, okay, you might want to check into this too. You might have Lyme disease. Are there things that people should be looking for? There's this 90s looking quiz online called mm. the Horowitz written test. Okay, It's spelled just like it sounds Horowitz. And you literally take the quiz and tally up your score. And if you score above a certain amount, you most definitely have Lyme disease. And I think 
I'm going to make some arbitrary numbers here, but like it's around a hundred is the score. And I scored like a 98. So I got like an A plus. Yay. Wow. But also if you've ever been told you had chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia, you may want to take a closer look at whether you have Lyme disease or not. And there's an actually a documentary you can watch to understand Lyme a little bit better and why maybe it's not talked about as much, mm-hmm. but it's called Under Our Skin. Hmm. It jumps around to different platforms. Okay. There's this one moment in the film, I'm like, I'm holding it together. I'm not emotionally reacting to this film. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. And I had just gotten my diagnosis like the week before. And then this eight-year-old boy comes on the screen. He goes, I just wanted to be like everybody else. Oh. And I lost it. And my husband's like rubbing my back. And because I remember not much sooner, I had driven past this park on the way home. And my cute friend was out there with her kids, like going down the slide. And I was like, oh, I wonder if I'll ever do that again. Mm. <laughs> like, those are like the lame self sadness thoughts that I was having. I was like, I just want to go. They're not lame. I want to live, you know? So I know you're a huge advocate on your social media for like clean eating and healthy living and using good products. And Can you talk a little bit about what you think are some of the things that help people the most who have this health issue? The number one thing is going to be finding a doctor and go with your gut. And you need to advocate for yourself. If you feel uncomfortable with the treatment, if your gut is telling you something is off, they are under your employ to put it black and white. You may fire them and you may move on to another person. If you feel ever that you're being talked down to or gaslit or told it's all in your head, move on. Because we, as wonderful creations of God, have this intuition, the Holy Ghost and our gut instincts that will lead us and guide us. And I'm so thankful for that. And we need to trust that. I couldn't agree more. I'm, I mean, in a completely different way, I'm always telling friends and other people, like with specifically with having babies, if you don't absolutely love your OB and trust him or her, a million percent, you deserve to have a doctor that when you walk into the delivery day that you feel like, let's do this. I, I trust you completely. So it's different, but it's the for same sure. thing where I'm like, you're, they're working for you. No, it's exactly the same thing. My, my husband's a dentist. So he, he works in Western medicine mm-hmm. and we do everything we can to make sure our patients have a really good experience because we want them to trust him. Yeah. So that's one thing that you can do. The biggest thing that I've noticed for me is, this is the gospel according to Lindsay, (laughs) when it comes to health, inflammation is huge. Mm. So inflammation can come from your air quality, your water quality, the foods we're eating, the the chemicals in our food, our food dyes, the quality of our sleep, all these things. And if we're not sleeping, by the way, our body does not get to reset. So my doctor even said, he's like, if you do not sleep, all the good we're doing will never, ever be utilized by your body because it's not sleeping to restore. Right. So we need to make sure all of these things are in place. Having said that, that is the most overwhelming thing I can tell somebody who's looking at me and being like, I've never heard of any of that. Hmm. I'm happily here to say it takes years and I'm still not there. In fact, I run epigenetic hair scans as a remote clinic out of my house and we test people's hair DNA to see where they are nutritionally, what they need. It's the coolest technology. Mine recently came back with hydrocarbons and other things in it. And she was like, did you switch out your pans yet? Because, you know, Teflon is an issue. Mm-hmm. Teflon causes problems, right? And so does lead and cadmium and, and all these heavy metals that are that. So heavy metals congregate in our body and they cause problems. That's a whole other discussion for another time that I am not qualified to speak mm-hmm. of. And I was like, that's so funny. I was like, that's like one of the last things 
that I have addressed. And she's like, it's showing up in your DNA that you're getting these inflammatory markers from these things. It's even simple things like taking out the wall plugins that are synthetic fragrances that have formaldehyde in them. If you have those in your house, those might be causing you histamine responses and allergies and inflammation. And there's been so many anecdotal stories where people remove those and their kids' asthmas have improved significantly. Mm. The more natural we get, there's a reason, there's a reason for it. Yeah. I believe that God has given us so many advancements and he also reminds us often that he created an earth that is enough for us. And so those two things combined, we can, I feel like we can do just amazing, wonderful things. We can look to food to be healing and we can look to what's more natural to be better for our bodies and more in line with what our, our biodiversity like appreciates, you know what I mean? Our gut. And so I totally agree. Those are big things that help us finding the right practitioner. And then also looking around in your environment and seeing that we do can do to remove toxins, you know, things that are causing stress and inflammation. And there are so many wonderful accounts that do this from a much more certifiable and helpful perspective. If you have a friend or someone you know who has Lyme disease, how do you support that person? How can you be compassionate and understanding? What do you wish other people would know who haven't gone through this? I would say the most disheartening times in my life came before my diagnosis when people told me it was in my head. Mm. The last thing I want to do is be a prisoner in my own body. Like I want to live. Right. You know? right. And so when we meet people, and I think the conversation is changing, when we meet people who you think, and I'm just going to be blunt, they say things like you're a hypochondriac or it's all in your head and all these things. Maybe it's worth a second look. Maybe it's worth thinking, maybe they do have like a Mm -hmm. bacterial infection. Maybe there's something more going on here. So if anything, understanding the signs and understanding that Lyme is a real thing. What's interesting is I get a lot of people who say, I sent my sister to you. I sent my aunt to you. And then I talk to these people and it's because they recognize the signs. Oh, I get a little bit emotional about this. And they're like, I'm getting my life back. I was on the verge of divorce. I'm getting my life back. I was on the verge of a mental breakdown. I'm getting my life back. And it's because other people recognize the signs. So just even understanding that it's a real thing and it exists is amazing. And then for somebody going through it, I think the biggest thing that we can understand as a support system is that it is different from everybody. This isn't the flu. This isn't take amoxicillin and you'll be fine next week. It is understanding that we have no idea how it's going to manifest in you. We have no idea how treatment's going to affect you. I'm here for you. I understand what you're that you want to get through this, and I'm going to do it with you. And there was this one moment I remember sitting on the couch, and I think I was just crying because I was really nauseous, and our house was a disaster. My kids were upset. I didn't make dinner again for the 19th month in a row, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And I looked up at my husband. I was like, I am so sorry. You did not ask for this. And I meant that because my husband is just like, I, I don't know what I did right to get him, but I would do it again. And he, oh. he goes, <laughs> Lindsay, first of all, no, I got to interrupt you because you're underselling yourself. Lindsay is one of the most, uh, you just, you got amazing grades in school. You were so dedicated. You're sharp. You're smart. You worked hard. You also had a job all through school. Like I just, 
was always so impressed with you. So for anyone who's listening to this who doesn't know you, this isn't like some slacker girl who wanted an excuse to like not show up to class. This is the girl who was sitting on the front row getting a straight A. So. Oh, I like that version of me. Thanks, yes, Karen. I appreciate true. That. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> we can hang out all the time. I feel like I try, but he looked at me and he's like, I signed up for you. I signed up for all of you. Wow. And this is you. And I just was like, <laughs> you know, thank you. So to have like a shoulder to lean on, a soft spot, I have a very, very small inner circle of people that I can call and go off on and not be polite and yeah. cry and ugly freak out. And they just pat my back and then we get through it. And then I feel better because again, releasing emotion. I don't know if you've heard of um, motion is en- emotion is energy in motion. Mm, I haven't. I definitely had those, those downtimes and everything, but um, just to have him say that to me and then, and my friends around me, I feel like we're probably the same way. Asking for help is not in our nature. Right. It feels shameful. I don't know why it feels like I feel guilty when people do things for me. I have a hard time with it. Most of my friends are aware of that. And so they text me funny memes. They text me jokes. They drop things off. Um, They always joke and say, if you need me, like, let me know. I'm like, yeah, like that's going to (laughs) happen, you know, but I do have probably four or five girls here that I actually do need to text and be like, Hey, I need some help. What I'm gathering from you saying too, is that it's important to have people like France, who's your husband and your friends and other people who believe you, right. That, that like they believe. Yeah. It, It sounds like that's one of the things that you're getting at too. You know, it's funny. And this is probably sounds gross, but the day I found out I had a true bacterial infection was like the happiest day of my life. <laughs> Cause it was real. Cause it finally made sense. Cause it was on paper yeah. and that's a mental, that was such a mental hurdle to overcome. I, Oh, that was the great, I was like high five never. And I'm like, I've got an infection. Like whatever. Yeah. I can imagine how that would be just freeing to feel like, okay, they're really, there's something real here and there's some solution. Yes. Knowing that there's a path yeah. and I wish it was cut and dry. I really, really do. I wish there was a magic bullet and like a high five and a rain dance you could do to get rid of Lyme disease, but there's not. Mm-hmm. We just briefly touched on this at the beginning of the interview. And I was so surprised to hear you say that Lyme disease has been the biggest trial of your life because you've been through some other really hard things. <laughs> and when My brother-in-law, Dave, passed away. You were one of the first people I reached out to because you understand grief so well. And you mentioned that you and your husband are orphans. Um, You've both lost your parents. I don't know if you want to just like tell the brief story of how each of those losses happened and then how, what you learned, you know, about how to deal with grief and how to get through that. So my husband, his mom passed away from a pulmonary embolism when he was six. So he's very young. The wonderful thing is his, he lived in a small town in Utah and his, his aunts and uncles and neighbors and ward members and community really, really came in. They had nine kids and they just really supported that family. Not saying it made it easier, but it, it did alleviate Mm -hmm. things. And then when he was 20 and he was serving a mission in Thailand, his dad, his father passed away from a heart attack. I believe in God's timing. And I believe if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, God will not take us before it's our time. Mm -hmm. The manner that happens is very different for people. And also I do understand that there are nefarious people out there who do things that, 
and in tragedy as in your guys's case. And so it's hard to make a blanket statement that everything happened. You know what? Even that though, Lindsay, even that, like it's, it's been so crazy to me that, and I mean, this really happened right after Dave died, but his wife and Neil's mom and Neil were all like, this was his time. And he almost died like three other ways right before he died. So they were really like, even though, even though he died because of a murder, they were all still like, it was, it was Dave's time. So even that. See, that's so interesting. Yeah. But anyway, keep going. No, I, that, that actually, I'm glad you told me that because my dad actually almost died like three times before he died. Really? Wow. I think the spirit was like telling him, get your stuff in order. And one time my brother was with him in the plane and he actually told my mom, he's like, I didn't think we'd make it through there, but my brother needed to make it. So, wow. Which is interesting. But, um, so he, he flew home that day and, uh, we lived in, I'm from Spokane, Washington, God's greatest gift to mankind. Um, (laughs) I I love Spokane. I also lived there Uh, for like a minute when I was a kid. Yeah. 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 It's so true. It's so beautiful up there. Um, but he was flying home from Utah where I was at school and he hit a snowstorm and the plane just couldn't handle it. It was a very small, like touristy type plane and, um, and he didn't make it. And so you get that phone call where it changes your life. And, um, whew, I can usually talk about it pretty well, but it's just one of those things where my dad was, I had a really good close relationship with him. And so having that moment where you're like this man, I will not see him again or talk to him is, um, it is a critical, critical moment in your life because that's when you look up and you go, God, you better be there because I will not make it through this. And then if I don't, there is no purpose for me. Yeah. I was blessed to be raised in a home where I was taught the gospel with conviction and, uh, and mercy. My parents were really good about teaching us justice and mercy and making allowances and, and being gentle with ourselves as we learn how to navigate through life and, and make good choices. Coming out of that, I really had to, I went through pretty severe depression for a little while and recognizing that was, was intrinsic to who I've become because it allowed me to feel grief at a level to where it was debilitating and to understand that. So when I hear and know others are dealing with that, it's a physical manifestation of pain. Mm -hmm. It really is. And so it allows for more compassion and, um, just more empathy and love all around. It's a, it's a really interesting thing to go through. And so, you know, looking outward from that, you have two choices. Like you can move forward and understand that God has a plan and we have purpose and to continue forward. And I always heard in my dad, my dad telling me in the back of my head, I have taught you to live. Do not sit in a corner. Do not, ex- do not expect people to accept you in a broken state. Mm. If you need help, get it, but move forward and keep living your life and, and honor me and your heavenly father by doing what you're meant to do and and find joy in it and be happy and laugh and, and all those things. And I just felt that from him. And in fact, the day before he died, for some reason, I had taken this class and we'd been talking about death. And so there are very few coincidences. And my dad and I spent an entire day talking about death and how it is just a continuation of where we've come from, what we're doing now and where we're going. And when we get to the other side and, and we realize how, how normal it is and how 
familiar it is. Those are the things that stuck with me as I was like, oh, he's just in his next phase and it's, it's familiar. And, and I can be as positive as I want right now, because I feel that way. But I also know that I have the moments where I'm like on the floor crying, devastated because I miss my dad, you know? And I want to call him and be like, Hey, this thing in my car is not working. What do I do? You know? So I marry France and he's like, Oh, we've got one parent between the two of us. This is great. So we really kind of bonded over that. And then five years after my dad died, my mom was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. I think some people know, but my oldest brother has autism. And then I have an older sister and then two younger brothers. So I'm the middle of five. How old am I at this point? I'm 25. I've got a kid on the way. I've got a husband in a residency, no father. It was one of the loneliest moments of my life. I remember. Um, and I I've talked about this quite a bit, but I struggle with loneliness even now to an extent to where I have a handle on it, but it's still something that I'm like, I'm okay. I've got my husband and I've got my kids and I've got these really great friends and really great family members I can rely on. But there is something very tangible about missing your base. And my parents, you know, you, they're my base. They were, they're who I am. I struggle with that and that abandonment and that loss still continuing on. And and what I like to share is that you never move on. You can only move forward. Right. Mm -hmm. My mom gets diagnosed with brain cancer and I just looked up at the heavens. I was like, are you serious? Yeah. (laughs) Like the doctor comes out. He's like, so you have brain cancer. Your mom has brain cancer. You've got, she's got about five years. Okay. Bye. Oh my gosh. And I was in this like waiting room at a hospital, just newly pregnant. I think I was about eight weeks. I was sick as a dog by myself and I'm like alone. And my husband's in a different state. My, my sister's on the East Coast. Her husband, thankful for his service. He was in the army at the time. And I was like, well, what on earth do I do here? I went in the bathroom and bawled my eyes out in some stall in some hospital in Washington state. And then I went in and had to put on a brave face as a 25-year-old to a woman who had just turned 50, was a widow at the when she was 46. My dad died when he was 47. It was very young and had to tell her, Hey, you have brain cancer, you know, and that's another really sobering moment where you're like, what do we do here? And she's like, well, what do we do? And I just grabbed her hand. I was like, well, we fight, obviously. Let me brush your hair, hold your hand and let's order some jello. Right. (sighs) It's funny because, and I say this little tongue in cheek, but also because life is life. I still was like, I need to get my hair done. Like I still need to eat lunch, you know, by the way, your mom's dying and you're like, oh, okay. All right. What do we do here? I don't know why at all my husband and I are in this position. It's not, it's not very normal. It's pretty unique. Very. And I don't ever mean to wear it as like this badge of uniqueness or anything like that. It's more just like, I I just don't get it. I don't love it, but I accept it. And I feel them on occasion on, you know, here and there. And my mom, we have never, I have never seen so many small miracles in a time full of tragedy as I did while she was undergoing treatment for two years. So she passed away after two very long years where her dignity, her, it was in her brain, her personality changed, who she was changed, but we would get these beautiful moments that we prayed for of lucidity from her where we would get to have a chat and remember who she was, this vibrant young mom who still had younger kids that that were just leaving the house and It's really sobering to know that I'm going to be moving forward in my life, raising a family without her. 
and to know that every time I had a child that she'd be involved, but just in a very different way. Yeah. It's just one of those things where I know I've had to go through these hard times for whatever purpose. And my mom, she was, she was well known for having quotes taped all around the house. (laughs) It's funny because those quotes come to me often as if she's reminding me of lessons that she's taught me. She loved that Louisa May Alcott quote that says, I'm not afraid of storms for I'm learning how to sail my, sail my ship. I love that one too. I feel really close to her occasionally, but I wouldn't say it's all the time. I wouldn't say I live in this in-between where I'm very connected to the other side. I just know that we have those, those moments. It's not on their birthdays. It's not at Christmas. It's not on these occasions. It's on like a Tuesday, mm-hmm. you know, just really unexpected like in the afternoon. Yeah. Where I'm like, I miss you. You know, you get to feel that love, but again, there's, there are, there are purposes and reasons beyond our understanding. And that's where faith just really comes in. I have to have faith that this is the plan. I know it is. I feel like life is more vibrant and more beautiful because I've been faced with such harsh realities. And when you experience the plan of salvation for the first time, like that, so close to home and you have to walk through grief and it is heavy and it is lonely. It defines you and you make choices. It doesn't mean that the heaviness disappears. It doesn't mean that the moments don't come back. I I feel like I talked to you about this a little bit, but I feel like Satan's really, really good at getting to us when we're tired and full of grief. And that's when he brings us down the most. Mm, Yeah. In my experience. I know when I'm tired and when I'm not feeling good. And then the Lyme, the whole thing with Lyme, I have had very, very dark moments where I'm like, I feel you trying to get me. No, I recognize that. And recognizing those emotions and those feelings, I think is the biggest part of getting through all this is just putting a name to the problem, recognizing the problem, asking for help, and then facing it. And if we can literally identify what is happening with the grief, with the pain, with the those moments, it's easier to face them. I'm trying to remember it because I know that when I reached out to you right after that happened, you talked me through that and gave me advice and gave me like tactical real things to do. I'm trying to remember what they were, but I know they were helpful. Oh. So do you have <laughs> things that you tell people who are in that position? So that's what that's interesting because I often ask people, what do you want? <laughs> Because people want different things when they're facing grief. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm an authority on grief. I'm just a listening ear and somebody who's been through it, you know? You've been through it more than the average person, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. And grief doesn't mean just from death. Grief means from disease Mm -hmm. and and heartache and and other ways, you know what I mean? So when people ask me, they're like, how do I cope and how do I deal with this? I'm like, well, what do you you want? Like, what is your end goal? What What is, where do you picture yourself, you know, finding that happiness in that moment again? And and a lot of times they're just like, I just don't know how to wake up tomorrow. Yeah. I think the biggest piece of information that I've given people is that works for me is just allow yourself to take time. And if you still have to go to work, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm not saying hold yourself in, but just go through those emotions and understand that you have been through something that has shaken you 
rocked your world and changed your trajectory. Yeah. So to just like process through those. And then if you need to talk to a counselor, there is hardly a stigma anymore around talking to a counselor. Yep. A hundred percent necessary. I didn't talk to a counselor till I actually went through Lyme treatment. Mm. But it was funny because after my parents passed away, I didn't talk to a counselor. I just felt really like, okay, you know, but then by Lyme treatment, they call it a hierarchy of healing. Once you start getting your basic needs met. Mm -hmm. Then the other things surface totally. Yeah. Yeah. So emotionally, I actually had to deal with the gaslighting. That was what a lot of my, and, and talking about it and being open about it. Cause, cause being open about something like this, isn't necessarily easy. Right. Being vulnerable is difficult. Right. Cause you're waiting for someone to shoot you down and tell you the yeah. things that you Which don't happens. want to hear. Yeah. The people that are, are coming at you in a negative light. I, you never know what they're projecting onto you from their own lives. Learning how to, to navigate that is tricky because I do take things personally. She actually helped me figure that out as well, which is really cool. So talking to a counselor is, was really helpful. But then processing that, just the emotions are fragile. Everything about the situation is fragile and to give yourself grace through it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't mean that as a platitude. I don't mean that as some like kumbaya moment. Like it's mm-hmm. true. Maybe maybe finding the equation for people with grief is literally like, what is it that you're looking for? And then talk to people who can help you find that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think learning to laugh again and smile again. I think the weirdest thing, I don't know if this happened to you guys at his funeral, but you know, people are like, okay, hey Lindsay, good to see you. Smile. And you're like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) It is a little bit weird. Yeah. Like, oh, let's take pictures together. But you do want to take pictures when you're with people you haven't seen in a long time. It was a weird thing, but I also found Kind of like how you're saying your dad was like, hey, I want you to live. I felt like we were like close to heaven and hell that whole week that we were back in Utah dealing with all the things that happened right after Dave died. And I felt many times where we were with his closest friends and his wife and Neil and me, and we were we were laughing. Like there were things that we would laugh about when we were remembering Dave or planning things or just funny things would happen. And yeah. and people would pause and then be like, no, this is exactly how he would want us to do. He wouldn't want us to all just be like, so serious with each other, you know? I wonder sometimes if they're sitting there being like, stop, right? like it's right. okay. Right, totally. It's so hard and it feels so final in our finite understanding of what earth life is. It just feels that way yeah. and, and for good reason, you know? Yeah. I just have learned so much from you today and talking through all of these things, all of the, I think a lot of times when people go through really, really hard things, that you underestimate the impact you're going to have on others for good once you go through those trenches and you can help someone not feel so alone and not feel so confused and not feel so desperate for answers, especially in a time that we live in where you can find those things. And we do have the internet and social media and all these resources that people 20 or 30 years ago didn't even have. Connecting with people who have gone through this kind of stuff and being able to ask them questions has been the biggest blessing to me. I have had many mentors for me to help me through all these as well. And I just am so thankful. And so social media can get a bad rap for all it is, but with all things, there's so much good, you know? And I feel like you for sure have just been a light to so many people. And I love seeing all your content. I love seeing that you just really share your heart on there a lot with all the, all the fun stuff too. And I think it's really important to, to, to carry a, a torch if you feel called to do it. And I just have always appreciated you and the example that you set for a lot of us for being open about it and being 
uh, about your your devotion to your faith and your love for Heavenly Father. And, and it, it's meant a lot to me. And because of that, I know a lot of people. So I always appreciate that from you too. Thanks, Lindsay. Okay, I have one last question for you. If there's one message that you want the people listening to this episode to remember, what do you want that one message to be? The messages that I live by in my mind is I want to live. I want to experience what life has. And God has created a beautiful, fun planet (laughs) to live on. Mm -hmm. It is worth it to advocate for yourself and be relentless in finding the answers to give you the life that you want to live. And God is relentless to give them to you. And he is there to bless you and to help you and to ask him to do that in his time by his will, it will bring you where you need to go and where you need to be. And then to advocate for it and share it with others because life is good. Life is a roller coaster, but we're not always going down. You know what I mean? Yes. There's so much good and there's so many moments of living in the mundane and, and working through the, the what we see as normal, average moments that really are beautiful, wonderful, peaceful times where we don't realize that the life we're living is good. Well, Lindsay, where can people find you if they are wanting to follow you for any of the things that we talked about and, and your hacks and your mom things and all, all of the things that you share. I am just on Instagram at the Lindsay report. It's, it's, it's manageable for me. <laughs> and it's awesome. And it's with an S A Y. So yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll put that in our show notes and, and just thanks again for sharing all of these stories with me and, and your life experiences and all the things that you've shared today. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for letting me talk about Lyme. Yes. I love it. Yes. Thanks, Lens. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode. Oh, 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 oh,